0: But one of the things that came up uh, was sort of a theme that, as we were visiting our friends who are parts of Obi Joyful in in that state, and then these guys were visiting the uh, the folks at the prison. Just the idea of all being siblings under Christ was pretty awesome because we were visiting people that were definitely free and successful in the world's view, and people who are not, and. <clears throat> then there was us and uh and we were all siblings. I thought that was really a special deal. Really cool. Um so uh a few years ago, uh my son well several years now, he was five. Um so I don't know, however many years that is. Um we were vacationing here in Crested Butte and we were staying at some condos or we staying at the Outrun. Some of you know that place. There's a big parking lot in the back. And uh so he was five, so he had this little bitty bike. And uh, he was riding around, and, and it was like in June, there weren't many people vacationing yet. And he was riding in the parking lot, and we were on like the third floor or something up there. And uh, so I stepped out on the balcony to watch him ride his bike, and make sure it was okay and all that. And he, uh, then I heard him having a conversation with a woman that was down underneath me, like either on the ground or on the, the balcony underneath. And she, I, we'd already met her. I knew who it was. It was a grandmother who was there and, and had a couple of, of grandkids. And she uh, she was talking to him about this uh, um, berm that had kind of been built up on the side of the parking lot. And it dropped off into the gully and then took off from there. And she was saying, you ought to do a jump on that berm. <laughs> <clears throat> and I was up there. And, of course, you know, I'm like overprotective oh, dad. I'm like, what? You know, oh my gosh! And I, but I didn't want to say anything, you know, because that'd been weird. Like, what are you doing? And, and so she, so he, I hear, it and he has a little squeaky five-year-old voice, you know, and he's like, "Do you think I can do it?" And she's like, "Yeah, I definitely think you can do it. You should try that jump." And uh, so I just stepped back, and so he he took off. And of course, at five, you don't really fly very far at all, if at all. But he went for it. And uh, the the thing was that here was this person encouraging my kid to do something I probably would not have encouraged him to do. And he did it, right? And so I got to hear the story later from him. The lady down below, she told me I should try it. And so I did. You know, it was really exciting. He did something he didn't think he could do. Today, I would like to be the grandmother for us, and encourage us in something that I think a lot of times we don't think we can do. And really what it is has to do with the mission of OB Joyful Church. We've been in a series where we've talked about the, the DNA, the roots of who we are, what it is that, expre- that is the, the, the basic building blocks of who OB Joyful is and what we are as a body, as a whole, and individuals. But now we're going to talk about the mission. And the mission of OB Joyful Church is that we are messengers of reconciliation. Reconciliation, when you go to our website, it has a big word, reconciliation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does that mean? Because when I say that we're messengers of reconciliation, and that's the biggest thing that we do, that's the pervading principle, that's the foundation of everything, that's the soil that the, the roots of the DNA are planted in, a lot of us are like, well, okay, all right? You know what does that mean, and why do I need current? What is that? Why is that like jumping over this berm for a five year old? What is that? What do you mean by that? I want to to talk about that, but before we do, let's just review those DNA statements, and let's see what what do we have. Um, why don't you throw them up there? So we we'll, because the pictures help me. We abide in Jesus. All right, it's the hand with the little. He's the hand. Jesus the hand. Okay. <laughs> Go together, can't see the the tandem bike there too well, but tandem bike, we go together in community. And then we pass the baton, we recently talked about that. We're making the handoff, Uh, we're disciplers, we're discipling the next generation. And we are heat and light, and Jim talked about that recently. Those are the DNA statements, the roots of who we are. But reconciliation between man and God, and between one another, that, that is the heart of the the way we describe what we do as believers. And we're going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians that explains that beautifully, I think. and I hope you will be encouraged by it. So 2 Corinthians, this is the second letter. <clears throat> I don't know, because it's the second Corinthians a letter that Paul wrote to these people. When you look at the church, when you just read what he's writing to the church at Corinth without any history lesson about that place, you realize that they're basically living out all the things that Americans think that are not good, all right? Like when we think we got a pretty corrupt culture, we do. They were were at least where we are. But the things that, a lot of things that we hide and think about and don't tell anybody, they lived it out and and celebrated it, all right? So Paul's riding into this culture. This is a place where it was not, uh, where the early church was being challenged. It was not the easiest place to follow Jesus, and Paul's writing in, and he's saying, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. They don't have any idea. All they knew is that, that they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light by, the, by Jesus Christ, and, and that changed their lives, but they didn't know how to, to act following that, trans, that transformation that they experienced. So he's explaining what that looks like, and he's saying, it's probably not a good idea for you to sleep with your, husband, your, your father's wife. Okay? Just, just in case you didn't, you thought that might be okay. So there were big problems in the church, right? So he's writing into that. And, and here we are in the second letter that he writes to them. And, uh, and he wants to show them again what it looks like. So 2 Corinthians 5 is where we are. This is one of those, this is one of those uh, sections in the Scripture. We're just going to read two verses, 19 and 20. It's just packed with information. So it says, In Christ... So if you're a believer, and when we're talking about the the core principles of the church, we're really talking to believers. If you are a believer, then he's saying you are an ambassador of the message of the truth of the gospel, of reconciliation. Uh, You are a messenger, an ambassador, a messenger, the two words that he uses. And the question is not, am I a messenger? The, The question is more, what kind of messenger am I? How am I a messenger? You already are. So what does that look like in our lives? How, do, how does that play out? How does that change us? Let's talk about reconciliation just for a minute before we get into the meat of it. Because uh, reconciliation is one of those big Bible words. It's theologically loaded with stuff. So when, when I think about reconciliation just in a typical way, I don't. in our modern culture, I don't use the word reconciliation very often. It's not something that I say. Except I might say, well, that couple was reconciled. They were estranged, but now they're reconciled. There's a friendship that was reconciled. That, and I was thinking about it, it's almost the only time I use that, except for those of us or those of you who might be accountants. And you reconcile the books. Or you maybe reconcile your checkbook if you use if you don't say the word balance. But it's rarely said in, in when we talk about it theologically, we're on that little that higher plane of, of reconciliation. Is something that is um, uh, about relationship, and, and the, the the story came to mind. You remember in uh, um, uh, old, you may remember this guy. I sure remember his name, Old Man Marley. He was in uh, in uh, oh, <laughs> Home Alone. Home Alone. Thank you. Sorry, just, just, everything left there for a second. Yeah, no. <laughs> Thanks for that encouragement. He said it only it only gets worse, Scott. So, yeah, I was running through all the list all the Christmas movies. But so uh, you remember in that story, uh, so in Home Alone, there's this man that lives next door to Kevin old man Marley, and they present him as real creepy and scary, but then there's this little s- scene that happens where where actually Kevin finds out that he's really a tender, gentle man, right? And then at the very, and he's got a broken relationship with his son. And then right at the end, if you remember that, you know, Kevin's looking out the window, and it's like everything's kind of wrapping up in the movie, and he sees the the uh, old man Marley and his son obviously come together, and they hug, you know, and there's reckon that is... The idea of reconciliation that we have. And remember old man Marley looks up and sees Kevin in the window and they wave, you know? Remember? And then Kevin's brother's like, get up here! You know, and they, it ruins the whole feeling. <clears throat> the biblical understanding of reconciliation that we really need to grab a hold of is that it is about relationship. It's mostly about relationship between God and man. And reconciliation means that things are made right. Things are made right between God and man. And that means that something was wrong if things have to be made right. And if you're a believer, we understand that the way that things were made right was through the sacrifice of Jesus, the central player. He made things right. And by faith, we take that as our own. That's reconciliation. So reconciliation includes the gospel. It's being made right in relationship with God. It also includes being made right in relationship with other people. That's a a byproduct of being right with our Father. So three points as we go through the passage. One is that we, we carry, we communicate, and we care. We carry, we communicate, and we care. We carry the message of reconciliation. We communicate. We actually make a delivery of the message to real human beings. We communicate the message. And, and thirdly, we care. We, we deeply care about people who are not reconciled. These are the principles. These are things that help us understand how it is that reconciliation or being a messenger of reconciliation plays out in our lives. Uh, so let's talk about this idea of carrying that message. Uh, we, I love the way Paul says, he uses two words. He says, we're entrusted as an ambassador a messenger. He's entrusted this message to us. And, and so one of the reasons that it is something we can carry is because we have experienced it. It's not something that somebody just gave us a letter and we don't know what's in there and we're going to hand it to somebody. There's a whole lot more to it. It's a holistic thing. Our whole who we are is part of the communication of the message of carrying that message along. Your experience in becoming a believer in Knowing the gospel and knowing Jesus is critical to you actually carrying that message. So the prerequisite to carry is that we have been reconciled. You know, we have that job experience. We recognize that we are broken, that we needed a relation. We needed to be right with God, and Jesus made it right. And by faith, we accept that and a step into that relationship. We have experienced reconciliation with God. That's the prerequisite to be a carrier, but another piece of that is that as believers, we sort of get, we sort of get the heart of God. I didn't, I did. Lisa didn't know I was going to read this passage, but of course, she prayed it. Uh, I think this gives us a glimpse of the heart of God from Matthew eighteen twelve. Jesus was teaching, and he said, "What do you think?" If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You know, I love that image. I love it. it. It reminds us of God's heart for lost people. See, if you're a believer, you've experienced being the lost one, the one that was unreconciled, who is sought out. But it also tells us that those of us who are believers now have a different kind of priority. It's not all about us right? So there's 150 of us here this morning, and Jesus is saying that the shepherd will go after the one and leave the rest of us just sitting here, waiting, right? Because we know what's most important. So we're all going to gather together. We're not going to, while he is headed, right? We we understand the bigger picture because we know the heart of God. And this expresses the heart of God. Thank you for praying about that. Very convenient and amazing. And then it says at the end of that, he says, and when, when he brings that sheep back, he celebrates over that one more than all the 99 who didn't go anywhere. Well, that hurts my feelings, right? What? what? We were faithful. We're the, we're the good sheep, right? We do what you said, or we, we're here, you know, we're follow- This is the heart of God. We're in a We have been reconciled. We're in that relationship. So it has consequences and impacts us and changes how we see everything about how we live and what's important. Since we have his heart, since we understand that, since we get that, then it's easier for us to represent it. So when you when you know the leader's heart and you know why the leader feels that way, it changes how you act. I had uh, the privilege of being a part of this uh, um, partnership that my former church built with a refugee community in the Dallas area. Uh, it was a boot, They were Bhutanese refugees. Okay, so they had come over. Um, Bhutan, the Bhutanese were farmers brought from Nepal to Bhutan to teach the, the people in Bhutan how to farm and use their land better. And then the people in Bhutan uh, decided to relegate them to refugee camps. So a lot of these people that were refugees, they were refugees in, or uh, they were encamped Uh, and isolated from their world in in Bhutan, and then they escaped to the United States. By the way, Dallas, Texas takes more refugees than the entire nation of Australia every year. So there are a bunch of people coming in. And so we built a relationship with this little church, this little family of of followers of Christ and people that were seeking Christ. And I remember... uh, there were all of these uh, barriers to us doing this thing we wanted to do. We wanted to build a farm on the church property that I worked for where they could come and uh, grow their, you know, anything traditional that they could and um, just experience touching the land again. So some of them hadn't done that in, in 25 years. So, uh, the barriers, though, all the things that we had to get over, and the water, and all these things that were a problem with the city, were a big issue. How could we? We couldn't get over it. And I was finding it hard to do. And, and I remember the, the woman who was leading said, I love these people, Scott. You've got to come meet them, come see them. Once you see them, it, you, it'll change your life. So I went down and had dinner. I think Claire went with me, too. We went down in their little Dallas apartment, and these people, and the women, are the smallest people I've ever seen. I mean, they came up to my belt. Literally, they were tiny. And uh, so I would sit, we sat on the floor to eat and I was still the same height as the ladies, <laughs> which is weird and why I should be in a circus. But um, <laughs> they, anyway, we were sitting by each other and, and we're eating their traditional food. And, you know, once I had been with them, it was like everything that seemed like a barrier, I was like, I don't care how hard this is because I had kind of uh, connected with the heart of the woman who was leading this. You guys know, my friends from Wood Creek are here and have seen that garden and what happened? And then, of course, the city said, well, I tell you what, we'll give you the water for free. You know, and we were in a huge drought. So all of these things were coming about where um, God was working through the, the passion of this person for this community of people. When we adopt and learn the passion of our God for the, for the one lost, and, and are willing to attribute so many of our resources to the one lost, it changes. It puts us into being more like Jesus. So when we've experienced uh, reconciliation and we know the heart of Jesus and we're more ready to carry that message out to where it it needs to go, to be the carriers, the representatives, the ambassadors. But as I said, there is the communication piece. And this is where a lot of it breaks down for us as believers. Um, We actually need to deliver the message that we're carrying. And I'm going to be honest with you. I hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings in here that said this to me, but the, uh, I'm going to hope that osmosis of my whatever I think and feel is going to come across to people, that Christian excuse for not saying anything to anybody. I'm, you know, I am an old man. I'm 50-something. I'm not telling you how many 50s. Uh, but I'm a, little bit, I'm a little bit tired of that sort of, oh, you know, I think, I think people know I'm a Christian. That's great. That's fine. But when it becomes an excuse and there's no other place that you're engaging, we're actually figuring out a way to deliver the message. I think there's a problem. I mean, if, if really this is what we're about, we're messengers of reconciliation, this is what Paul's saying, then if we're just hoping it's going to ooze out of us, we're I mean, to figure out stuff about us, figure out the gospel. Look at, look at verse 20. This is an amazing verse. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Okay, check this out. God making his appeal through us. Where does that put us in the, chain, the value in the chain of communication? Do we matter? God's making his appeal through this and that. Yeah, the mountains point. To the to creator of the universe, but they don't give the specific information of the gospel. They just point. Creation points to the creator. We give the specific information. God, for some reason, is going to use you and me, totally broken vessels, messed up, whatever, to actually make an appeal. An appeal is hard to do from silence. Aren't I good? Don't I never lie? For some reason, I mean, if you just were to meditate on that verse, I think you could be transformed. He is making his appeal through you. Okay, you. Paul's writing this. He's, saying he's making his appeal through you, not me up here. You. I'm just like you. We're all the same. We're all doing in this together. So I want to. That that obviously brings up the question for me. Well, how? How am I supposed to do that? What are you talking about? So, yeah, you can't just tell me that 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 you're frustrated because I want to use the excuse of, I want people to figure out that I'm a Christian without giving me something. So let me give you three quick ideas. One is be aware of hoarding the truth. This is what we do as humans. We hoard the good stuff. If, you, if you've just studied economics at all, you know that that is the principle of how it works. We hoard the good stuff. We all hoard the good stuff. I've told you the story before, I'm sure, about me uh, having some cookies that I didn't want to share with my daughter, Sarah, who was, happens to be here today, and still holds this against me. Because um, she was three, and there were these this bag of cookies, and I didn't want to share, so I kept them, and I hid and ate them while she was like, Daddy, where are you? I want a cookie. I'm like, <laughs> eating them up as fast as I can. Here, help, help me out real quick. Will you stand? Come here, Emma, Lisa, Morgan. Okay. So, you know, I think I'm talking about this sort of facing out. You can just stare right there. Facing outward. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Morgan, um, facing out, we're we looking out to the other sheet. You know, the people that are lo- the, sh- the people that are not reconciled. And then the good, the thing is, we're like, Oh, Lisa, did you, you hear what happened? Oh, it was so awesome. Yeah. Oh, Morgan, didn't and yeah, tell me about that? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. Let's sing some worship songs down in here together. <laughs> okay. Let's just get to know each other. Yeah, here I'll disciple you, and you disciple me. How much? What are y'all seeing? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, ladies. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's backside. Because we hoard the good stuff, y'all. We we naturally do that. We come in and we say, "Let's talk about it." Let's all be so. And it is great. We are built for community. We have to be. But if we don't have the heart of Jesus. For people who have not been reconciled, we have a problem. And if we can't say those, we can't figure out how to get the message across. So one of the things we need to do is just be sure that we're not just sharing it back and forth. Isn't this great? Isn't this good? It is good, but we, that's just part of it. All right, the second, the second idea is, is just simply this. In conversation with people that you care about who are outside the faith, who are lost people who aren't reconciled, just value what they have to say, right? Because we're all talking to people. Just value what your friends have to say. There's a passage uh, that in the New Testament, and it says something like, be ready to give a defense to everyone on behalf of, of your God. Some of you familiar with that passage? So a lot of us have been taught and turned that around into be ready to dominate the conversation and win it when you're talking to someone about who God is. Now, I don't see that really in the text. It says, be ready to give a defense. It doesn't, so we have this whole, our whole culture, if you haven't noticed, is about being right, okay? And you can switch news channels and you can find out, you can just be as right as you want, wherever you want to go, but as long as you're right. Okay? That's not what this is about. See, a lot of people take that verse, and I've taken that verse in my history, in my life, and said, oh, what this means is that God wants me to totally convince people and know all the answers before I can say anything because I've got to give a good defense for the gospel. I've got to win that conversation. Now, it doesn't say go dominate, go win, Go make sure everybody knows that you're right. Man, that'd be a lot of failure. (laughs) Um, You don't have to win or convince somebody to be a messenger of reconciliation because you already are. This, for me, honestly, is a few years ago. When I learned this, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have so much more free. And then I learned this little principle. It was was this. It's these little words, three words. Let heresy fly. So when I'm talking to my friend and she says something crazy about how God and Jesus and Buddha are all the same and whatever, you know, it's totally, I'm like, I don't have to fix that. I don't have to, fi- I don't have to win the conversation. But when my friend knows that I love them enough to hear them, eventually the conversation can turn to where I can say, let me tell you about Jesus because I honored them first. So here's the principle. Care about what your friend has to say. Just respect them. You don't have to change them. God's in the business of change. We're in the business of communication. Value the thoughts and feelings of your friends. And then uh, uh, and then, and number three is this. Uh, be you. Just be you. And if, if you know me, you know one of my favorite passages in the scripture um, is the story of, of Jesus interacting with a woman at the well and he, and he communicates, he says I'm, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one you've been looking for he gives her the information and she says I want that, I believe that and then what does she do right after that she runs to town, right she's a totally unlikely messenger of reconciliation I'm going to read you what happens when this woman goes to town uh, This is John 4, 28. The woman left her water jar, went to town, and said to the people who didn't respect her, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. She just asked a question. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The question that she, she asked him, he told me all that I ever did. Come check it out. She just did the first thing that came naturally to her. The broken vessel that she was, she went, and, and instead of actually saying anything, any long you know, explanation or having all the answers, all she did was say, could this be the Messiah? Why don't you go talk to him? Check this out. Uh, it may be that you invite someone just to meet with someone else who's better at talking about Jesus than you are. I want you to meet my friend. This person has inspired the heck out of me spiritually and I know you're a spiritual person so come, you got to meet them and let them do the talking. Right? Just be you and figure out how to make it work because y'all, you know, we, the second piece is communicate. We actually have to make deliveries of the information if we're following Jesus. Okay. One last point. Uh, we care about people who are not reconciled. And here here is the the beauty, the beauty of this in the story we read of the seat of Jesus search, or the shepherd searching out the lost sheep, there's, there is that. There's the function of going and finding the sheep and bringing the sheep back. But that doesn't include the information that Jesus did a whole lot more to make it possible for the sheep to be integrated into the group, right It wasn't just going and getting the sheep. It caught, he went to get the sheep at the cost of his life, right? That's a lot of caring for someone who is outside. In verse 19, there it said, It says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Well, when we see that word there, we don't, there's a lot of content to what Jesus did to reconcile us. He gave his life to reconcile us, right? And so when, when we adopt that level of care for people who need to be reconciled, it changes who we are. I want you to to look at this. Uh, This is a beautiful parallel passage from Colossians. Colossians 1, 15. Okay, just try to take this in. I don't know, picture it, however you can do. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the first born from the dead. And in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And get this, after all of that, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's who he was in the very last line. He made peace through the blood of his cross through his death. That's what that means. So he not only went to seek and to find, gave his life to make it happen. He cared a lot, and we need to bring that level of care into our own hearts. I'm, I'm amazed, uh, especially in recent literature, like the last even few years, but uh, half century or so, the number of popular uh, literary themes that involve the sacrifice of the hero the complete sacrifice of life of the hero for other people, and, and that hasn't—that's been a theme that has risen and fallen throughout history in literature. But just think about it for a second. Of course, we have Aslan, right? But he was—he was a metaphor for Christ, right? But what about Gandalf? Remember when Gandalf sacrifices himself with a, fights the Balrog, the big fire dragon thing, and saves all of his the crew, the 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 party of the Ring right? And he gives his life for them. And they're devastated, but he gives his life. Um, that's a good one. What about Albus Dumbledore? You know, I remember thinking, wow, this, this, how are they going to end this Harry Potter thing and it's going to be, you know, it'd be so powerful and meaningful and be worth two movies to end it. <laughs> oh, it's just the story of what Jesus did. Well, Rowling was like, I think I'll just repeat that. Albus, the great guy, gives his life and he plans to give his life for everybody else. Or the most recent one I, I just uh, happened to binge on uh, <laughs> was when Eleven in Stranger Things gives her life for her friends. For all she knew, she's giving her life for her friends. Oh, goodbye. And she kills herself for her friends. This is a theme that continues in literature. Sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> If you haven't seen it by now, it's your problem. It's not my problem. <laughs> the The model of what of what uh, Jesus did is the most powerful theme in in it, uh, that we can imagine. He not only went to get, but he died to make it possible for that big word, reconciliation. So I'm hoping that you have a little bit bigger picture and more understanding of what it means to be a messenger of reconciliation. We carry the message, we represent it, we communicate it by giving it to live people and we deeply care about the ones whom we deliver the message to. So let me just wrap up with this and we're gonna go to communion and uh, finish. The very last part, why don't you guys who are gonna lead communion, come on up and I'll just say this while you're on your way. The last few words that Paul says are really interesting because he tells them, he says, this is what you're supposed to do. I want you to be messengers of reconciliation. And then he gives them the words that, that they're to say. He, he tells us, this is, this is what you say. This is, this is what it looks like. He says in the bottom of verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Those of you who are reading this book, this letter to to the Corinthian church, if if you're reading it and you haven't been reconciled to God through Christ yet, you need to be reconciled to God. So what I want to do is encourage you, if this is the moment, wherever your mind took you uh, in this conversation, meditate on that. But if you have not come to the point where you've crossed the line of faith and it's time for you to be reconciled to God, this is is a great time to do it while we hold the cup.